Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Hip Hop Save My Life podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's sit back because it's time for the podcast. Hello and welcome to Hip Hop Save My Life. This is me, Ramesh Ranganathan. Um, I've recorded the podcast already. I'm doing now the intro bit sort of in my house and it's about, what's the time, like one o'clock in the morning. Uh, everyone else is asleep, so I've kind of... But I've got to do this intro bit, so I've come to the kitchen, dining room bit, and I've put a blanket over my head because, basically, if I wake people up, shit's going to go down. So uh, that's the current situation. You don't need to know that, but you do. Uh, today's episode, um, a few days ago, I went to talk to a man called Jensen Carp. Jensen Carp, you may or may not have heard of, but um, he's a hip-hop fanatic... Uh, current executive producer of a show called Drop the Mic, where celebrities rap battle each other um, that you may or may not have seen. But also, uh, and the main reason I wanted to talk to him is he was nearly like big time as a rapper. Um, he's an author of a book called Kanye West Owes Me $300. And basically what happened was he nearly became a massive rapper. Like he got a million dollar deal from Interscope and then it all went tits up. So we talked to him about that on the podcast. Um... It's a good episode. There's no rumage. There's no Ben Green. It's just me flying solo. So there's a dip in quality, but um, it's not all going to be gold. It's free. Do you know what I mean? This is Jensen Carp. Enjoy. This is technically the closest I'll get to like a Tim Westwood interview ever. <laughs> like I don't think I like just your accent alone gets me the closest I'll be. Yeah, I think I should sort of switch it up a bit. Like, yes, we're here with Jensen Cup. It's so funny because like I used to watch those videos or listen to him on the radio and be like, there's no way he's super credible. And then I realized he's the most credible voice of all of hip hop. Well, it's very, um, I was talking about this to uh, somebody yesterday. It's very difficult for us because in the UK, you know, we are, as much of a hip-hop fan as I am, I am, by dint of me being British, an outsider looking in. Right? Sure, well, I mean, we are, technically I am as well, based on my face and my, yes, my right, nose. Yeah. 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 But, um, but the thing was is that, like, when, when Westwood first came out, he was the best place to go and listen to hip-hop. Yeah. But the flip side of that is he talks, he talks how he talks. Yeah. Right? So yeah. you sort of got this situation where you're kind of you sort of love him for bringing these artists onto the radio and playing all the best like tunes and that and having like big American rappers on Yeah. but at the same time you're thinking why does he get to talk to these rappers like this man it's mad it, I mean? it makes it easier to understand why people thought Ali G was real because <laughs> I was like well it's not much different yeah. between the two people I know do, do you do you did you know that he presented the UK equivalent of Pimp My Ride he yeah was, he, yeah. Was he was exhibit. the exhibit yeah yes. I knew that and I also just like he, he does good stuff it's not that he, it's crazy because like it's not that his Ali genius comes out that much in his work it's like I remember recently, um, and I'm friends with him, so it's not like I'm like talking out of school. But Dicky went on, yes, little Dicky went on, and Dicky was great on it. Like yeah. it was pretty much the best thing he's done. 
Uh, and I texted Dickie and was like, that was the best thing you've ever done. He was like, Tim Westwood's not a character. <laughs> like, <laughs> he was just as shocked as I was <laughs> that that's really what the guy's like. Uh, but it, it, I think the freestyles there are good. The the fact that like he still has Jada Kiss on or whatever he can do when he gets him in there. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I guess it's like growing up for me, that's how it was for the Wake Up Show uh, and for... Um, uh, Friday Night Flavors, which was a show here in Los Angeles, yeah. more regionally, uh, and Wake Up Show started in Oakland, but then it became more of a national show. But that th- those were the two places I got to go, and then before that, you know, there was sort of New York uh, Hot ninety seven shows yeah. and stuff that I that I'd have sent to me, whether it's Stretch and Bobito or or whatever. I'd have those kind of sent to me by people I knew in New York. Do you listen to any UK? I mean, do you, are you aware of UK hip hop? I mean, I'm super aware of it, be- mostly, honestly, because of like the resurgence that Drake has sort of forced into everyone's yes. minds. But I mean, I, I bought all the Dizzy Rascal stuff back in the day. I mean, I, I basically the 101 stuff. And then now I haven't got too, I, like, as far as my knowledge that people make fun of and say I know everything about hip hop, yeah. I wouldn't know as much about grime as I do right, sort you. of the state's hip hop. But I know enough to, like, pop culturally from the sides know what's yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah, got you, got you. And um, it's incredible what has been going on. It's, well, it's, it's, it's mad for us because, like, when I was growing up, because you and I are about the same age, but mm-hmm. when I was growing up, obviously really into US hip hop and then UK hip hop sort of started to emerge and there's all these great artists coming out, but it just never got anywhere. Yeah. Um, but then with Grime, because it sounds so different, I guess, it's been very exciting over in the UK. But the thing that we've got is, um, is that people in the UK think that UK hip hop is grime, but there is an there is another scene yeah. where really great hip hop is being made, and it's not grime. And some people think there shouldn't be a division, and some people think it's completely different; it's not the same. Um, but it's a very good, it's a great scene over there. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I think that the scene itself has gotten so much of a boost because of dance music and because EDM fans and rap fans are becoming so interchangeable. Yeah, like as far as Coachella, the people who are happy Jay Z's headlining are the same people that like. Uh, any EDM DJ that are just passing my mind right now. Yeah. Uh, like any of those guys, uh, basically Calvin Harris or, or Skrillex, like those are the same fans as Wu-Tang. At yeah, this point. yeah, yeah. Totally. So, so grime gets a good boost because of that, because the music is similar in that way. But then you, you look back and you sort of listen to the streets and these guys that, that have been doing, that were doing it back when it, there was no shine on it. And it's hard for me to see the difference um, other than, the idea that now they're rapping over beats that maybe Drake would have. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. that seems like the biggest difference, really. Like the streets was doing stuff that like you could have heard on Def Jocks. Yes. Get my phone out, about to give this girl a shout. See if she had a nice time last night uptown. Ask if she fancies trying it again sometime. Then Cal grabs the phone like oi, 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 oi. Hold it down, boy. Yeah, he was doing like underground hip hop, but it's really the same shit. It's just over a different beat. Yeah, yeah. I, yes, I, I totally. It's agree. not a ton different, but no. I, but I but I think having having a feature which I think is something no British rapper could really have had no. until recently. Having like a real prime feature or something like that, like that shit goes so far for hip-hop. Yeah. Like it almost can revive a whole scene. Look at reggaeton. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, have you heard of, you won't have done, well, you might have done, Apache Indian. Are you aware of Apache Indian? Well, you mean of the sample or is this a different name? No, Apache Indian as in the Indian, British Indian no. dancehall star, right? So he did... Boom Shakalak, which was on, I think it was on Dumb and Dumber, it might have been. But okay. but anyway, the reason I mention him is he's like this Indian-British guy 
um, who sort of does his music like, in like Punjabi a, MC yeah sort okay. of like yeah so he does, but he does his music in all like a dance or patois okay and he I remember being blown away because somehow I don't know what record label manifestation made this happen but he ended up doing a song with Tim Dog right it was it was insane I that happened. I know hey. You know how that shit happens? I'll actually tell you how I think that happens. Go on. I think Tim Dog goes on tour. Right. And I think he meets him backstage because someone's like, yo, this dude's hot, blah, 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 blah. He's like, yo, we should do a track together. And then it just actually happened. <laughs> because that's, in the 90s, if you did a song with someone international, I think it always meant you just did a tour there. Yeah, that I was guess what so. I always got. Yeah, they yeah. just like... Especially Tim Dog. They had a smoke together or something yeah. and he said, oh, I really like Fuck Compton. Or he paid him. Yes, I yeah, mean, that's probably... Didn't even think they probably that. didn't even meet. Yeah. So anyway, the reason I wanted to talk to you, the main reason I want to talk to you, is you've got an incredible story. And for those of you that haven't uh, checked it out, Jensen's got a book out called Kanye West Owes Me $300, which is well worth the look. Thanks. But basically, you were almost a huge rapper, right? Yeah. I mean, I had all the steps until the last one accomplished. Basically, everything until becoming famous had a <laughs> checkbox next to it. The only thing missing is becoming famous. So the... So... This is my understanding of the start of the story, yeah. but I'm sure it, it I, and I know that it goes beyond this. Yeah. But the thing that sort of elevated you was that you phoned up Power 106, which is a big hip hop uh, station over here. Yeah. Um, do you listen to Power 106 now? No, I mean, I don't think any, it's weird. It, it was during a time when the radio was all we had. Right. Like it, and so we didn't have iPods. We didn't have serious radio. We didn't have really um, CD players in your car was kind of just becoming a norm. Right. So if you wanted radio hip hop, that's all you had. Right. Was basically so. So Power 106 was prime. But now I listen to mostly Shade 45 or or my you know my phone. Because I because I came over here very excited about listening to hip hop <laughs> oh, in context. That's a bummer. And so I put on Power 106. The dance station, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. mad. And they have five songs that they sort of just... Absolutely. K-Day is great though. Right, we we okay. do have a great station here, but it's uh, mostly uh, old school. Right, yeah. Well, that's, yeah. Not, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, so you phone up. So yeah. they do, they're doing a battle thing, a battle show. Where you, people, listeners phone in. Yeah, they've been doing it for like a decade. And so you, you phone in and you win, right? Yeah, these guys called the Baker Boys who were kind of like uh, staples in hip hop. They produced Pistol Grip Pump, actually. Right. Okay. Uh, and so they were radio DJs here, and they were doing this thing for like a decade. They created it, and it, it ended up going to Hot 97 with Ed and Dre. Yeah. But it started here, and uh, it was just like a phone call program where you would call in, and a guy would, uh, they would have a champion from the night before, and that person would battle three to four people a day over right. the phone, and then uh, listeners would call in and, and say who won. And, you know, the average age of those contestants are probably 15, 16. Right. And I had done it when I was 15, 16. I had done it even when I was younger. And when I was 19 years old, I was driving home to college and uh, from, from a job, and I heard them say, we're, we're doing it now, and I thought it was funny. Like, I should do it. And I called and did, you know, I was an animal. Like, I, at that point, I had been battling for... You know, my whole life, and at that that time, I was I was kind of going out again. I yeah. was going to ciphers and going to competitions and, and and doing as much as I could. And and so here comes this sort of adult man coming into almost like Billy Madison swat the balls away. <laughs> and so yeah, and so I ended up on the program for like over forty days. And the champion before me, the highest ever, had been like ten. 
So you, when you phoned up, were you thinking this is just going to be a laugh? Yeah, yeah. Or, or were you thinking, did you actually no. have aspirations? No, it was a laugh. Right. I mean, I thought winning would be a cool aspiration. Right. But like nothing beyond that station, no. But when you won the first day, yeah. Sorry, when you phoned in the first day, were you thinking? I've listened to the sort of standard they've got on there. I'm, yeah. This is in the bag, pretty Not much. Not in the bag. Because I thought maybe my nerves... Also, like, rapping over the phone is a thing. It's very hard. It's Because it, you have to hear their beat. Right. So, like, you, when you're rapping, you don't hear the beat anymore. Because right, okay, you're, okay. like, yelling. As soon as you start. Yeah, right. as soon as you start, you stop hearing the beat. So there's a bit of a talent in just knowing where the beat falls. And right. I've always been good at that, especially probably because of that phone thing. But, like, I can pretty much rap the... the the metronome without having it there. Right. So I was just sort of like, just don't mess up. And that's how Hawk Carl, the name that I selected, was, yes. was so selected. Yes, so how did this name... I don't know. Uh, they go, what's your name? And I had not thought about it when I called in. And so uh, I had messed around with names. I'd always been just like Jensen or just took on other names. And I'd never had like a set name in rap, really. Right. And and I just thought... in Literally, I had a second to think. And, and Hawk Carl was a term for shitting on someone's chest, like in a sexual act. And I always thought that was funny because like battling, that's what you're trying to do is just shit on somebody. Right. And so I just... That's what came out of my mouth. And had I known where it was going to go, I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> I would have come up with something a lot smarter. But but that was... that was It was all just so fast. I never would have thought, no, I... I maybe a win or two so so you won for is it 40, 40 days 40 something days yeah right so you win and then that is sort of what elevate that's what sort of got you a deal right essentially is that that's right that's it yeah I mean I did other I, I recorded songs also so that Jimmy because like at that time a couple labels wanted me right. and the one that I wanted was Interscope and Jimmy Iovine and so I why knew, was that that you wanted to go Interscope I just knew they had No Doubt and they had U2 and they had um like I had met Gerardo, which is like such a weird name, yeah. but like Gerardo was an A and R there, the right. guy who created Rico Suave, and he was so nice. And I had a friend Bubba Sparks, who who obviously went on to release music, and Bubba was like looking at Interscope, and it was just it was the place to be. It was the Yankees, right. so I wasn't I was I was approached by a bunch of other people, but I wanted to sort you were of holding have, out, yeah. So you finish your 40 days, yeah. and then what exactly happened? Well, I next? finished college basically at the same time. So right. I, I really focused on college right when I got off the radio. And then during that time, I would, uh, well, not finish college, but my junior year. And then um, I, during that summer, I recorded a couple songs, a couple with DJ Lethal from House of Pain yeah. and then Limp Biscuit, and then a couple with uh, DJ Homicide, who would come up with the Alcoholics and then ended up in Sugar Ray, which is a weird trajectory. <laughs> Uh, and then basically some other producers that just people put me with DJ Cheap Shot, who worked with Styles of Beyond, and a bunch of other beat dudes. Um, and I and I recorded a song, and one of them was a hit. One of them I recorded pretty quickly and was like, "That's a hit." Uh, called Caliente Carlito, uh, which was like a jokey song pretending I was I was Latin, and uh, I knew that was it. And and the labels were already interested in me, so I just started doing those meetings. And uh, pretty quickly, two people jumped out in front. One being uh, the Firm, which was this guy Jeff Quantinitz. Uh, who went, went on to manage like Britney Spears, but has always managed Ice Cube. So right. I, I like that was enough for me. Yeah. That's Ice Cube's manager. And then Jimmy Iovine was the other one. Capitol Records showed some interest. Some other people did, but but no one as much as you know sending a money offer. And Jimmy's offer was so high that I really couldn't go anywhere else. So was it like when Interscope contacted you? So obviously yeah. you're you've got a massive hard on at this stage. Huge like, the dreams are coming. It's a joke. Yeah. yeah. This, this was a bit. Is it exactly how? 
people think it is where you get taken this big office and they're going you're going to be massive and blah blah yeah blah. mostly it's pretty much the bit it's what you think it is right and then but on top of that there's like you kind of think you'd be in control of it because you like know like you know what's going to happen here you've seen enough behind the musics you know what I mean like you've seen what goes on and then when you're in the situation things go so fast in a, in a way you're like you're talking to a, I didn't have a lawyer and I was in Jimmy Iovine's house and he says million dollars like I didn't have a lawyer so I just he was like I'll call your lawyer tomorrow and I was like I I didn't say anything to him but in my mind I'm like I gotta find a lawyer <laughs> so like things don't like it's not like whenever anyone talks about like predetermined Illuminati shit I'm always just like so envious like what if I like you really knew what was gonna happen like I I knew nothing of what was gonna happen so like on a Thursday when I signed a million dollar deal you don't go to work on Friday like you wait to figure out when you're gonna start recording your album like all that stuff to me was foreign. I didn't wow. know what any of that meant. So, like, I'm waiting for them to be like, here's a beat CD. You're going to New York. Like, all that. Okay, whatever you whatever you want. Like, I, I think at 19 years old, it's in, it's almost impossible. But what I would say is, even at that young age when all this is happening to you, you're very much yourself the whole way through that. You know, yes. you sort of like your look, the things you talked about, yeah, I was all the of first, those things. I was really the, I always stand by the idea that I was the first white, actual white rapper. Yeah. And nowadays, it would be hard to find someone who doesn't look like they work at PacSun. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Like it's G Easy and 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 uh, Dicky and and Mac Miller and God, and then there's a whole subgenre of Hoodie Allens and all these other names of guys that that sound like me and, and and look like me. Don't know who I am, so it's not like they're copying me. But I've always sort of thought that I was ahead of my time in going out there and being like, I grew up in the suburbs. I'm not going to put on a fake voice. I'm not going to be any different. I know I'm, I'm a murderer. I know I could kill. I've been told it since I was little. Um, and now I, I have to have that choice. But I, I don't think that the world was ready at that time to hear like a normal kid rapping. W- was that a conscious decision or did it like... Yeah, because I love the art form. Honestly, I love the art form too much. And and I was raised in... You know, I, I was managed by Rhyme Syndicate at like 12 years old. And they encouraged me to be a white guy, you know, for lack of a better word. So how the hell did you get involved with Rhyme Syndicate? I mean, how did that... So I was at a party growing up when I was like a kid. And I was always rapping. Like, yeah. it was always a thing. Like, even when kids in my school didn't even really know what it was. And so I was mimicking the words to Choice is Yours. I was just mimicking them when they were on the, on like being played at this party. Who's the black sheep? What's the black sheep? Oh. No, not who I am or when I'm coming, so you sleep. Oh. And a guy came up to me. He was like, "If I hand you a microphone, will you rap into it?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And so I did it. And that guy ended up being super connected to hip hop out here in LA. And so he was like, "Do you rap professionally?" And I was like, "No." I was like, "I'm kind of in a group with this kid in my middle school, the only black kid." So he's asking, "You're 12 at this point?" Yeah, 12. Right, okay. Yeah, and I looked like a Boy Scout. Like I even looked less hip hop then than I did later. And so he goes, "Yeah, I want you to open for Rhyme Syndicate, Nice Tea." Um, with your group and I was like well we don't have any songs and so this man this this, this 20 year old kind of DJ yeah. uh, started to help us put together songs and dance routines and stuff and so then we ended up opening for Ice Tea here oh in LA God. Yeah, that was like some fantasy camp shit because it was like I was such a fan even of Donald D who ended up managing me Yeah. so like Henji and Evilly and all these names that I knew from Everlast all these names that I knew from syndicate stuff they ended up being basically a lot of them ended up being at that show and then donald started managing us and um and we you know we worked with them for about a year and then didn't come together the riots the riots happened and i think i think it was a sort of a weird situation for ice t to have white guys on his label because everlast also kind of stopped working with them 
I mean, that is insane. Yeah. It was a crazy... 12 years old, man. Yeah. I posted the video on YouTube recently of us opening for Ice-T, and I think if you just put in, like, 12-year-old Jensen Carp, don't just put 12-year-old, you weirdo. (laughs) But if you put in 12-year-old Jensen Carp, I think it comes up. That and you insane. see me, yeah, you see me at 12. Kumail Nanjiani recently walked up to me uh, and was like, hey, I was like, what? He's like, I have to admit to you how many times I've watched you rapping at 12 <laughs> years old. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, here's why. And he explained it almost perfectly. He's like, and also for me, this is also how I feel about it. He says, I couldn't have felt less connected to you because we've been friends for years. He's like, I couldn't have felt less connected to watching you at 12 years old be so confident. Right. He's like, I don't, I don't know anyone or have ever seen anyone be that confident at 12 years old um, about anything they're doing. He's like, I was so nervous in my room, like thinking I knew comedy or thinking I knew music or blah, blah, blah. I would never have even opened my mouth to talk. He's like, and here you are sort of guiding this art form, you know, at such a young age. And, and I look at it similarly. Like, I don't look at it now and think that's me. I'm like, holy shit, that 12 year old is going to rule the world. Like, I don't think I, I lost confidence over the years from that point. Yeah. So like seeing it is shocking. And also I'm shitting on another bad creation. The whole song was a diss song talking about how small their dicks are. I wrote the whole thing at 12 years old. It's a very, <laughs> I was in a very weird, uh, wormhole of hip hop at the time. Cause but most dog was a huge influence at the time. Oh, right, right. Huge, huge, huge. Yeah. So cause most, uh, most kids that are that confident in that age will end up becoming serial killers. Or yeah. Something like that, hundred, right? you watch it and you're going to think like that guy's going to murder his girlfriend yeah. and then hide her in a dumpster. Right. It, there is a weird, I also don't know, like Bieber and stuff, like kids who blew up at that age. Like, I don't even know if, I think this is more startling. It's, in, it's crazy. Yeah, it's weird. So you get the deal from Interscope, and then so what happened from there? I record the album. So right. basically, you know, they put $800,000 into recording this album between here in New York City, LA and New York, and... I end up recording with Redman and Fabulous and, and I mean, Maya. I the names of people. Yeah, DJ Quick, Kanye, Black Eyed Peas. Um, at the time, Sugar Ray, because that was a good thing to do. Uh, MC Search. Um, you know, it was it was just sort of like whoever I wanted, I could I could record with. And how does that work? Does that like you pay the money yeah. and they'll come up with anyone? Basically. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day, it wasn't well, not anyone. Right. But but yeah, money helps. They don't want to be on a corny record though. Yeah, right? yeah. They would stop that. And yeah. there were people who just Beanie Siegel was originally supposed to be the other guy on the song with Fabulous, and I had called Beanie had got the offer. And then Beanie called me, which was super sweet, and was just like, listen, I don't think you're whack at all. He's like, I actually think you spit on this record. He's like, I just am not a pop culturally funny guy. Right. He's like, so I don't really even do references. He's like, so I could do it. He's like, but I think your best bet would be going for someone who can like do the same thing as you. And so it ended up being Fab and Redman, which makes sense because they're kind of punchline dudes. But like... You know, he didn't want to jump on even just to get the fifteen or twenty k at the time. Yeah, I think yeah. he was still like, "This isn't best for me, but I'll do it if you need me." That's a, I mean, to get a call. What are you like on the phone to these people in the room with these people? Crazy. I mean, I I ended up doing phone calls with like most everyone. <laughs> like, did a phone call with Rizzo, who was like my one of my idols. Yeah. Um, like a phone call with Timbaland, a phone call with, you know, I just I kind of just sat there. I don't know. And I are just, you being like you're being now? Yeah, you... yeah, the, almost the exact same. There's a weird story in the book about Rizzo and I talking on the phone where he just kept comparing me to characters on Happy Days. <laughs> so he'd be like, so you're like the Fonz of hip-hop? And I'm like, no. No, that would be too cool. He's like, so you're like the Potsy. 
I was like, no, that's that's not cool enough. Like, and then, I, and then after a while, I'm like, why are we still doing these Happy Days references? Wow. But like weird shit would happen, yeah, like stuff like that. I mean, and the fact that I was involved with Kanye so early, it's like. There, I was really like a real zealot about it. Like I was always put in these places, and I would see it um, and be part of something that I had idolized my entire life. And you sort of say that you believe that you're one of the people that kind of underestimated what Kanye was doing, or for sure. I mean, I, there were a lot of people, but yeah. I mean, I'd never underestimated his production. Right. I always thought I literally thought he was going to be the next biggest producer in the world. Yeah. I thought that from the minute I heard his beat. CD. Right. But as far as rapping, I always thought he was garbage. <laughs> What was he like to be around? Um, well, I always reference Bowfinger, which is like oh, a geez. common reference because he had adult braces when we met, and he, he was dressed in like this big, like uh, a Nietzsche jumpsuit, and he was just too eager. He was just right. so eager, and I don't. A lot of people don't say that when they're talking about Kanye, which is weird because if you were around those days, which a lot of us were, eager has to be the first word in your, out of your mouth because he was always so wanting. He wanted to do everything. He wanted to be on everything, and he wanted to tell you he was a rapper, which was something his managers didn't really want him saying. Right. Because the rapper-producer wasn't really a thing. So so focus on producing. You're good at it. Um, and so he was just, like, earnest and, and, and jumpy and faulted. and But, like, as far as, like, egomaniac, uh, I don't think I would have ever said that. I probably would have just said over-eager. Like, he would rap at waitresses and stuff. But he didn't talk about, like, how he was going to be... Because now... It sort of feels like he believes that his life is a work no. of art. No, know? he was more of like, I'm going to take the game over, but like the same way any rapper with a demo would tell you that. Right, right, right. It wasn't right. any different. It wasn't like, he told me he was an artist, um, which doesn't come up much. Two things that were crazy about Kanye then that don't come up much now. One is he was super into movies, which like doesn't come up ever now, right? Yeah. He never talks about movies, no. but that's all he did. He owned like tons of Blu-rays. That's how we got along so well because we both collected like DVD, not Blu-rays, DVDs at the time. Um, and we both collected them, so we talk about them a lot. And then we saw a movie together. He loved movies. That was a big... And I think he always wanted to make movies. That I remember coming up a lot. That's never come up again. And then the other thing um, is he... I mean, it can't be outside of the realms of possibility that he's working on a film. I mean, well, no, I think, it, he, this is I a think guy he gave up on it. Really? I really do, yeah. I think I think he tried the Larry Larry Charles show. Right. He tried certain things, tried Anchorman. I think he's really bad at acting. Right. So I wonder if maybe, but even writing or directing, yeah, it's never come Because he strikes me as a guy that will not shy away from diversifying into anything. You know yeah, I, mean? I think he, I, from if, what I know, he, he definitely just stopped. Right, right. And that was something he loved. And then the other thing is he was an art student. You know, he was a drawer and a painter and stuff, and that never comes up. But when I had opened an art gallery... Uh, we had talked about him putting stuff in the gallery at the time, and, and I think we were going to do it, and then I think time just didn't work out. But um, he was always like a sketcher, you know, he always sketched and stuff. But that, again, no one talks about it. But those were the two things we talked about a lot art, wow. and, art and movies. Movies mostly. He would, he would text me three, two way, two way page me, uh, like, what movie should I rent a Blockbuster? All the time. That was like <laughs> his big thing. And now we don't even hear him talk about movies. So. That's mad. Yeah. So you record the album. Yes. And then what happens? Um, well, I have a song with Search. Yeah. Uh, are you happy with it? No. In terms of recording the album, what, were you happy with it? At that time? Yeah. Um, yes, I was happy with songs. And then I thought we could build it into an album. But I think like piecemealing an album, I realized quickly is a bad idea then. Right. Like even though it was happening everywhere, like everyone was getting a beat from Timbaland, a beat from so-and-so, a beat from so-and-so. That was very much the thing, wasn't that was it? it? Features was, and... There was no other thing. Yeah. Yeah, even over features, production yeah. hits were bigger than features then. Right. But like now, 
now I, I like it was just like all over the place. I would go in with Damon Elliott or somebody, and a song would sound completely different than when I went in with Quick or whoever. And and I think that affected my hearing of the album. Even if even if like it wouldn't have in the marketplace, I don't think people would have been bothered by that. But it bothered me, and right. that was enough for me to be annoyed. And then around the time that I was supposed to start meeting about college radio, the sort of like not I, buzz is the wrong word. The 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 resources for me to work with on my album like just fell apart. Right. It was just like no one was there anymore. And I was like, what the hell's going on? You just spent eight hundred thousand dollars on an album. So just what everyone disappeared. You Pretty me? much, yeah. I was warned. Someone called me right. and was like, there's something weird going on with your project. You should look for another label. And I was like, look for another label. They pay me five grand a month. I got a, you know, three hundred thousand dollar advance. Like wh- where would I go? This is yeah. uh, they just paid me I'm rich technically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm nineteen years old. I'm rich. Um, and uh, and I got a publishing deal at the same time from Warner Chapel, which gave me two hundred fifty thousand dollars in one check, just handed it to me in a check. My God! And and I was like, I can't go anywhere. What are you talking? You know? And I know this sounds like the world's smallest violin because there's so much money there, but when you're like nineteen, it's not. It's a, it's a huge deal. Yeah. Because like the word recoupable comes up in both of those advances. They're not really played out to be recoupable. Like that doesn't really happen. It's never technically happened in anything. But like they could ask for the money back. Like there's a lot of issues yeah. that go on in this. And so it, it, it immediately just shakes my world. And I do end up leaving the label after it falling sort of exactly what the phone call warned me. But when you got the phone call, yeah. was there part of you that think, was thinking, I can still power through this? Yeah, or that guy's lying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all those things. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I could power through, but I just thought it may be wrong. Right. More wrong than anything else. But it just, but it, he was right. And it he was just... right. Yeah. And basically what he said on that phone call was that there's issues with releasing me and at the time Bubba Sparks, who was sort of getting ready for round two. Right. Um, there was problems within the label because Eminem was making so much money for them. So it would be like if Howard Stern was on in mornings and then they put Imus after him. It wasn't, right. it wasn't that they thought they'd take away from Imus's or Howard's audience, but it was, it's just not worth it to do it when you're up against a cash cow. I see. So and I recently met with Jimmy Iovine last week. Which yeah, is I saw you tweeted about this. I did. And you gave him a copy of your book. I right? did. Jimmy, so how did that meeting go down? Jimmy reached out to me. My name came up in another meeting. Right. He said, like, he was like, I know that guy. I signed him when he was 19. Like, yeah, that was him, huh, Carl? He goes, I'm going to bring him in. And then we just had an hour-long uncle-to-nephew chat. And what did he say to you? This is incredible. It was mostly just business like uh it was mostly just like talking about catching up we talked about our families talked about life talked about being uh, 39 because i turned 39 next year he talked about that was the year he started interscope a lot of like um encouragement he wants me like he he knows that i'm doing really well as far as writing for other people's things he's like but i think it's time for you to have like um like a scripted of your own a lot of like real weird we hadn't talked in a decade and he you know he he helped me go through college with it you know he was the biggest he's changed my life more than anyone ever yeah and so this was the first time we really saw each other and it was really nice uh it was very weird he got the book he you know he kind of figured out it's about him he knew it existed he didn't know exactly what it was and uh you know did he say anything about like sort of being upset with not upset regretful with the way that it went down no I think the only real chat we had about that most of it was about me now right but the only stuff we talked about in the past is he just sort of alluded and acknowledged that Eminem ate it up right and I think that's and I told him at 37 38 years old right it's easier to hear that 
and at yes. 20 years old, you don't understand the business aspect of it, and he didn't really say anything back. But I, but I did, but it was sort of an acknowledgement that like the world's biggest white rapper was on the label, and then there were other white rappers who probably should have got a chance, would have got a chance at another label, but just bad timing. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Do you think like now, because like at that time, like when Eminem blew up or whatever, being a white rapper was different to being a white rapper now, right? Yeah. Like it's right. com- it's weirder when a black rapper hits. You. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so do you think it's just it was just that at that time because yeah. if Eminem existed like you know if we had M- I know Eminem does exist now but now in no, that same scenario problem. it wouldn't be an issue at all. No, you right? think you think Machine Gun Kelly affected uh G-Eazy? Yeah. <laughs> no one even puts them together. Yeah, yeah. So but but back in my day, yeah, I would have been compared to everyone. And I yeah. was. I was compared to I was compared to Bubba. We looked nothing alike. We sounded nothing alike. Yeah. Like, we still were in the same category. Because white rap then was a genre. It was its own genre. And now it's rap. Yeah. Now I think, honestly, I think Earl Sweatshirt is an anomaly. Yeah. Right? I think I think Vince Staples is an anomaly. I think I think those dudes get almost, like, they get the signifier almost at yeah, this yeah, point. Yeah. Like, the signifying isn't white rapper anymore. No. And that's yeah. all it was for me. Yeah. I, I was just way ahead of my time in that way. And did you, so you, after the Interscope thing happened, yeah. did you, what are you, what can you do with that album then? Can you take what you've got and try and move it elsewhere? Or is yeah, it- so I had a, um, a real fear as to what would happen for good reason, right? Like my lawyers are making me feel okay about it, but I just was like, I don't know what to do. Like, yeah. and so, um, EMI had just given me all that money for a publishing deal and I was nervous that at any point they could ask for it back. Like I, I didn't know what to do. And so I ended up, um, getting this kind of like, this, I don't know, heaven sent email from this guy at BBE, which was actually a UK record yes, label, yeah, yeah. Uh, barely breaking even, which was through, I think, another bigger name. But they put out like the Jay Dilla instrumentals. They put out a bunch of Roy Ayer stuff. Right. And um, it obviously doesn't fit well with Hot Carl, but a guy named Eddie Bezalel had heard the Hot Carl stuff and was smart enough to call me and be like, one day every rapper is going to look and sound like you. He's like, I think you're like 10 years too early. He's like, but eventually all of them will be you. He's like, and I just want to try to be the first to do it. So why don't we put something out on the smaller That's label? an incredible thing to hear. Right? Yeah, that's what he said. And, I, and at the point, I was like, fuck you. I'm just trying to survive. I really was. I was just trying to make it. And I knew that if, if he gave me six grand or 10 grand as that advance, I'd be able to use that. And then two, if I put out the record through him, I could always say I tried my hardest to the publishing deal. He can't sue someone for trying their hardest. 
And so I just put the record out. Right. So I recorded like five or six new songs with him, and then um, BBE bought like two from Interscope. Right. One being the Search song, which I said I always wanted. Yeah. And then I don't remember the other one he, do- he bought. But that's where I did that song with Ninth Wonder, which was like the retirement song. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I knew I was out at that point. I mean, how did that feel? Which one? To be out? Yeah. Good. I mean, I never, I never, you know, everyone thinks you're a rapper forever. Like yes. when you sign a record deal, you're a rapper. Right. And a second life for a rapper still in 2017 is almost impossible. Right. Right. When someone fails in hip hop, they're cannabis. Yeah. You don't, you don't, you don't get a second, like Romany e. Malco, right? Was yeah. in that group Brotherhood Creed, I think. Yeah. Or was he in College Boys? He's in one of those two groups. He's went on to become an amazing comedic actor. He doesn't talk about his hip hop career. Like nobody fails in hip hop and then makes it. It's rare. Scott Kahn is always a good story, which was like he was in Hooligans and now he's Scott Kahn. Yeah. Like it rarely happens. So to me, that equals living under a freeway. Like you fail in hip hop, you're always going to be a laughing, yeah. like a laughing stock. At that time, now fuck it. No one yeah. cares. But at that time, it's like a stigma on you. It's the scarlet letter of hip hop. And so I don't know. So at that point, I have no idea. I gained so much weight. I was in over 200 pounds. Um, I'd started antidepressants to sort of defeat this uh, feeling. And then, yeah, and then I sort of had a breakdown a bit through it and uh, came out of it and opened an art gallery and just sort of tried to tried to get out and tried to find creative outlets outside of this one that I was supposed to be pigeonholed in and sort of hit a dead end and found a U-turn. And that was where the art gallery came in and comedy writing and, and, and just sort of getting out there and, and performing non-hip-hop stuff, doing right. stand-up again, um, and just sort of trusting that there's another goal for me. Did you, when that all that happened, because like I know, for example, like as a comedian in the UK, if I, uh, if, if I do a show that I think I was shit on, well, and this is not the same, but like... I can never watch that show again. Like even well, I can't even watch what I'm good at. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so like, for hip, were you able to enjoy hip hop? No. Right. No. So you just stopped all. listening to it completely. No, I did. I would listen to it, but almost like secretly. Right. You said enjoy hip hop. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I still listen to it. Uh, no, I couldn't enjoy it. Everyone was garbage, or you know, I had to be on my lookout for every Eminem song and think how bad it is. And it's like you, it was. It, it, I didn't enjoy it until years later again. And now I, now I love it again. And that, that took a long time, but, but yeah, it it was, it was a burn victim. So it was like getting closer to the fire each time. And and now I'm back and stupidly fully engulfed and between drop the mic and knowing every mixtape that drops. And I downloaded the Jaden Smith record for no reason. So you're still, still you're still into it as a, I mean, you're, Probably yeah. more across it than anybody. Yeah. I know. Like you're, you I'm know, more everything. across it now. Yeah, yeah. Than I was even. Oh, really? Ago. Right. Yeah. 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 And what are you listening to at the moment? Like, is there stuff that you really like? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's. It's weird. I, I think we're in a time where it's very easy to say how bad it is, right? Because there's this generational argument that's that if if we didn't have Trump, right, the biggest thing in hip hop right now would be this generational gap, yeah. which no one really talks about now because we have bigger fish to fry. But there are a lot of people talking shit between both of them, yeah. which is like mumble rap. Uh, the Post Malone quote is kind of about that. And, yeah. and, and you have on the other side, uh, someone came out recently, but a lot of guys sort of saying, someone had a great quote that said, we made hip hop to sell drugs to. These kids make hip hop to take drugs to, which was a good quote this week. But, but the way I look at it is like, um, we have to let go of Slaughterhouse, right? 
we have to let go of these lyrical rappers and say, if we're going to support them at this age, we need to support them directly. We need to not think of them as hip-hop anymore because hip-hop is, an, is a genre that moves with the streets, right? It's never wanted to stay stagnant. And this movement no longer includes those guys, yeah. right? There's no longer a lyricist, really, that we can be excited about other than Kendrick. Yeah. Or because I'm not going to put Drake in that. I'm yeah, a huge yeah, Drake yeah, fan. Yeah. I'm a huge Drake fan, but I'm not going to put Drake. It's in not that. the same. It's thing, not yeah. the same. Um, but I, I've been successful now in my mind over the last two years separating them, right. understanding that I can like the Uzi, uh, the Uzi Vert record, which I do. Um, but two years ago, I would have said, "Well, that's just not for me. I'm fo- I'm almost forty. Yeah. But now I listen to it and I pull out a couple songs out of the Uzi Vert record or um, the Future record or or Twenty One Savage or whoever. I can pull out songs. I'm not gonna listen to the whole record. But now I've developed. I don't hear it being bullshit in my ear anymore. I am starting. If you want to get really technical, yeah. I am starting to feel forty years old with the little Zanny world. Right, right, right. right? So like that world and um, like Little Peep, I I understood because it sounded like emo stuff. Right. But like as far as like um, just chanting ish rap, then I'm starting. I'm starting to go. Oh fuck! I I'm not there. You yet. can't access that. No, not yet. Yeah. But but I but I have gotten to a point. Where I hate saying mumble because it's such an easy, dumb thing to say. But like I just think people have to categorize more now. Hip hop's so big that we have to start seeing grunge rock and we have to start seeing different categories. And and older dudes like me and you, we have to let go of the idea that you know. Like I think Jada and Fabulous are working together now. Isn't that a thing? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like they're they're gonna have a record together or whatever. Like get yeah. excited about that then. Like put your energy towards that. But yeah. let's not, let's not pretend that has to be on the radio because it can't. It's not what hip hop is. So do you, okay. So you you sort of highlighted on the main issue for people of our age, like yeah. with regards to, to hip hop, and also probably most of the people that listen to this podcast. But do you think, like you know, for example, when you see, like when you watch Little Yachty and he, he doesn't, he can't freestyle. It's not within his thing to freestyle why, why, or, or even or like be or lyrical. know who Rakim is. Yeah, exactly. Why would he? Well, he doesn't know that. He doesn't know any. Number one, freestyling's garbage. Let's admit this. Yes, now. yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah, is a, yeah. It's. I loved it back then. It was. Yeah. That's what I made a million dollars because of. It is a bad art form now. It was taken almost by like theatrical nerds. It's become. It's not even cool anymore. Well, I was going to talk to you about this. What the battle scene has become now, yeah. because there's no music. There's right. no musicality to it. There is none. And, yeah. and I came up in in battling. Yeah. That was all I really liked doing. And I battled hardcore for years and years and years with a beat and freestyling. Yeah. I had lines that I would go to every once in a while, but I but 90% of it was freestyle. Hip-hop uh, battles now, from King of the Dot to Don't Flop to Smack, those are no beats, yeah. and they are all written. You know, barely freestyle. A couple freestyles here or there, but uh, lines, but not, all written. And you would think I'd think of it as like a purist. Like, uh, I think it's better. Why would I want to hear dudes rhyming... Uh, you know, the same, uh, my style is, you know, they always say my style is, or things that, you know, they, the thing they repeat all the time. Like, I I can't even watch myself freestyle now. Really? From videos back in the day. Yeah. Like, it's so much better to hear dudes rhyme, like, for reals, and write it down. Like, good for them. It's yeah. better. Yeah. I, but but I'm also progressive now. Like, I, I, I don't even hate on dudes anymore. Like, right. I, like, like I, um, what record did I download that I, oh, Russ. Russ is so easy to make fun of now, right? Like, he's such a, like, a punching bag. Yeah. I, I think the Russ record's great. <laughs> like, I've just become, I've become nerdy about it. Like, yeah. I'm almost like, you can't find something good in these things? Like, there's always something decent. Like, I'll, I'll erase a whole album if I don't like it, but, like, yeah. I'll listen to everything, and I find something good in almost everything. Well, it's weird, isn't it? Because, like, sort of when we were growing up listening to hip-hop, the fact that it changed so much 
and it was so fast moving was yeah. why we loved it. And now we hate it. And now we hate it because of that. Thing. Yeah, it's so it's insane. Weird. And and to me, it, if it if it's still if you if hip hop was still reflecting what forty year olds liked, it wouldn't be what we loved. Yeah. And now you want these guys to like respect these artists. It's like. To me, why would little Zanny know who Thurston Howell the Third is? Yeah, I, barely yeah. anyone knew who Thurston Howell the Third was when he was around. Like the other thing is like Eminem, right? So the two largest influences in hip hop right now, in my opinion, are 808s and Heartbreaks. Period. That's the most influential thing in hip hop to me. You think so? I don't care for it. I thought it yeah, was yeah. his worst record. Yeah, yeah. But like kids seem to love it. Right. It it, it changed hip hop. No, it, no one even liked it. Really, it was no. like kind of a throwout record. Well, I remember being, uh, I remember being amazed by how ballsy it was for him to put a record out like that. Yeah, you know what I mean, I didn't even really like. I mean, I, yeah. Now I listen to what three songs? Yeah, tops. But kids seem to love it. It like that age group that now is coming up are all influenced heavily by it, right? Yeah. Like you could, you could, you could almost etch future to it, right? Yeah. And so that record, and then early Eminem. Has, is having a nice resurgence yeah. right now, right? So, like, a lot of people uh, are are sort of referencing early M and admitting that late M is not something that's influencing anyone, right? Yeah. So, like, we had a kid on our podcast named Lou the Human, who's, like, an upcoming Brooklyn kid. He's awesome. He's starting to get a lot of buzz. And he sounds like early M, right? And he's highly influenced by early M. And I go, and I'm he's here on the podcast, and I go, and, you know, you sound a lot like Cage. And he goes, who's Cage? Right. Oh, well... All right. And he sounds just like Cage. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like he's ripping off Cage. It's just you have to wonder where influences start and how the game of telephone almost happens. Yeah. Which is like Chino XL is, Eminem never admitted it, but Chino XL is Eminem's highest influence. You know, that's where he got all his influence. It's got to be, yeah. It has to be. He says Redman, but that's a lie. Yeah. The truth is he got everything from Chino XL. The same way I got everything from Chino XL. It's your complex that rips and wrecks your confidence, creates paranoia inside of your mind when you run. But I got black soul Blows I create Unforgettable Like Nat King Cole Bullet holes Through the shields Of your land cruiser My click is stolen Like they eyes Gaze the Parmaduza It gets witter than incest Knowledge my name I'm on a different plane Like Harvey Villachez So Eminem Never said Chino XL Said Redman But in real life There was another guy Named Cage Who sounded just like him But the same it, but the only thing they're going to pull out when you're 19 years old is Eminem. Yeah. And that's the influence they got that's watered down from so-and-so, that's watered down from so So eventually all this shit's going to have some sort of reflection. To, but these kids don't know who they are. They don't yeah. know who they are. He doesn't know who Chino Excel is. Yeah. He doesn't, and he I doesn't get know it. who I, Flatliners are. I know. I get it. And I get it. Why should he? But, uh, I met Tyga when he was 18. Right. I met Tyga, 18 years old. This is uh, He just released that like pineapple juice song or yeah. bullshit he put out. And we're at a party, and he's uh, and a friend, a mutual friend, says he used to rap. He was on Interscope, and Tyga's super nice, kind kid at the time. Probably now a piece of shit, but at the time, it's totally nice. And he goes, uh, "Yeah, so you were in during these days?" I go, "Yeah." And he goes, "People," and he even at the time, this it wasn't really reflected in pop culture, but he was like, "People always think I should know more about old school stuff." And I was like, "Oh, you definitely should not know stuff. Don't, don't, don't waste your time." And he goes, "Well, what are the two records that I should be into?" And I go, "Well, two that you'll love." Are Camp Low because I had heard his yeah. his Juice song or whatever that was, and I was like, "You're gonna love Camp Low." And then I said, and "Then Grave Diggers is my favorite record of all time." I was like, "So you know, you you make up your mind if you want to get them or whatever." And I saw him a second time, so I'm like three weeks later, and he came up to me and he was like, "Both of those albums are incredible." He's like, um, Camp, "He's like Camp Low changed my life." I was like, "Well, yeah, I, now I listen to his music. I'm like, didn't change it enough." <laughs> but but I mean, he cared enough to listen. Yeah, you know, and, and I think that's sort of the that is interesting. That's yeah. the way you do it. Is not not saying that. You have to know these guys. You don't have to know anything. What I can't, you? by the way, I've got to say, 
Gravediggers. You've got to be the first person to mention that album on this Oh, podcast. greatest album ever. It's incredible, right? 60 Deep's the best record ever made. Be a witness as I exercise my exorcism. The evil that lurks within the sin, the terrorism. Possessed by evil spirits, voices from the dead. I come forth with Gravediggers in a head full of dread. I've been examined ever since I was semen. They took the sonogram and seen the image of a demon. At birth nurses surrounded me with needles and drug me all up with the diseases of evil. What do you think of the pick, the sickle, and the shovel? It's fine. It's yeah. fine. I mean, obviously, their, their focus was... Uh, here's the reason. Gravedigger's album is so good because it's a bunch of guys who failed, right? Yeah. People don't know the metaphor of Gravediggers because you just want to look at it as like a horrorcore record. The truth is, is that it's, it's guys who failed who couldn't get the industry to look at them, so they they basically created dead characters yeah. to come back from the dead. That, I mean, it's just a it's a very direct metaphor. Yeah. But no one saw it at the time, and the, the album is actually a concept album about guys restarting their career. You know that that's what it was. Yeah. And so, um, if you love Thirty Six Chambers, is obviously the more commercial answer to yes. what you're, and it, they're very similar. Yeah. So. RZA and Prince Paul, the two greatest producers in my mind of all time, produced a record together. Yeah, and and they don't they don't do that on Sickle. So it's it, if you if you're looking for the one where it's the two guys together, it's it, you only have six feet deep. How big was the album here? But it was pretty big. It went platinum. Right. right. Um, but like as far as like how much it's withheld, you know, the test of time. I mean, it doesn't come up a lot. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you were a Wu Tang guy, you had to have bought the record. So it was a platinum record. I have a tattoo. I have the I have the sickle tattoo. Do you really? I do. Yeah. So I'm like a super fan. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So, but it, it really did change my life. It was it was the first time I heard a rap record and thought, um, I don't have to be direct. Right. It was like it was like these guys are characters. Yeah. Maybe I can be myself. Like I know that sounds weird. These guys are characters. Maybe I could be myself. But it was like the world is open. Yeah. And they they were the first people for me to hear it. And and in the same way that like I knew Ozzy Osbourne wasn't really like a Satan worshiper. Yeah, yeah. It was similar to this. It was the first time I heard a rap group and was like, oh fuck yeah, this is. It happens. I mean, it, it's it was it's amazing that that. You know, it happens so rarely in hip hop, I guess, doesn't it? That sort of thing. Almost never. Yeah. And Paul's usually in, in involved in them yeah. when they do happen. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Prime, Six Feet Deep is the record. I mean, at this point, when someone posts about Gravediggers or release, uh, you know, like some sort of merch, I'm always the first person tagged on it. I mean, I, I praise it like it's, I mean, it really is. It's, it's, it's truly incredible. Yeah. Well, listen, look, we're almost out of time, but yeah. I want to... Um, you've been amazing. Thanks, man. But I want to ask you about Drop the Mic. Yeah. Um, so how did it come about? So Drop the Mic basically is... It came from an item on The Late Late Show. And yeah. d- you're behind that item in the, in the first instance, right? Yeah, so right? so um, I had done this, this rap. Uh, I've been doing a lot of comedy writing since those days and a lot of award shows. And one of the award shows was the MTV Movie Awards, and they wanted a song moment. And I had this idea where Rock and Kevin Hart do a rap. It went viral. And my agent was like, um, you can pretty much go in anywhere if you have a rap idea today, because it was like everywhere. And I was like, yeah, I have this thing about rap battling. I want to teach celebrities how to do it. And she was like, uh, where do you want to take it? And I said, well, the lip sync battle people. And then she goes, what about Corden? And I go, oh, yeah, I guess that'd be good. Yeah. And so I went and met with Ben Winston and James and, and pitched this idea, showed them um, King of the Dot and Don't Flop and, and Smack and showed them all these things about what I can do. And they were they were uh, accepting. They loved it. They thought the idea was great. And James obviously can do it. I told James the reason I even knew he could do it is because he did that carnival karaoke with Iggy Azalea. Yeah. And I immediately knew he had a better flow than her, which isn't, I mean, whatever. Still, it's good. It's still, yeah. he, he'd rap better than her. And I said, um, 
let's do it. Got Anne Hathaway to do it. And from there, it's been, you know, sort of smooth sailing on the show. David Schwimmer, Usain Bolt, Kevin Hart, uh, Dave Franco, Cara DeLevingne. Um, we've done Method Man now. We've done a bunch of people there on that show. And then TBS saw that and, and offered it to be its own show. Because that's kind of how I always saw it as its own show. Yeah. So TBS called Ben and, and CBS and said, why don't we make this into its own show? And now we are in the middle of season one. So the, Method Man is our host, yeah. Yeah. Um, my, my actual hero. That's my, my It's hero. incredible, right? That's my actual hero, yeah, from rapping. I, his logo was my license plate when I was 16. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing about a show like Drop the Mic is, but as a hip-hop fan, when you first hear about it, you think this is going to be the worst thing that's ever happened, right? That I've watched it thinking I was going to be like, okay, they've put hip-hop in this sort of weird... Not, it's not a weird setting at all. It's what hip hop is, but it's just sort of, you think a mainstream TV show that has hip hop in it that's normally not done very well. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that was my whole thing. Like when I went into James and Ben, I said, it, "No one can ever say my name is." You yeah. Know, my name is something I'm here to say. No one can yeah. ever do that. No one can ever wear gold teeth. Yeah. No one can ever wear chains. No one can ever wear backwards hats unless that's what they normally wear. Yeah. Um, I said anyone who's playing a rapper is off the show. You know, this yeah. is this is normal people going in and learning how to rap in their normal voice. And um and, and we're gonna have the best lyricists and the best comedians writing their stuff. And uh, let's respect the art form. Well, and I think that's something that hasn't been done before, I think. No. In terms of a hip-hop thing for mainstream television that is done with affection. Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? Rather than sort of yeah. pointing and making fun. And it's crazy because I mean? like most of the hatred that we get online are from people who've either seen just a small clip or never yeah. watched the show. Yeah. If you actually watch the show, 80% of our battles are extremely good respectful battles they're just good battles yeah uh we have in the next few weeks we have kenny g versus uh richard marks nice. which is like a fucking nightmare like yeah. you hear that and you're like holy in carter deems who uh is an incredible rap battler that we have on our show as a writer he turned to me during it and he said this is the most fun i've ever had watching a battle he yeah. says, and i'm not offended like these dudes love this and they're good at it um, and th- and that's what we we try to do in most of the cases. We fail sometimes, but a, a large majority, very large majority of our battles are ones that can stand on their own. Yeah, yeah, which is crazy. I'm shocked myself. Yeah. Okay, listen, we're we're out of time at Jensen. Yeah. What an amazing story, Thanks, man. man! Thank you so much for talking to me and. Um, definitely check out both Drop the Mic uh, and Jensen's book uh, Kanye West owes me $300 as soon as you can is there anything else you want to nah just Tim to? Westwood man go yeah. listen to his show yeah. <laughs> listen to his weird ass fucking yeah, yeah. strange character bang those cell block doors oh block uh, block uh, you freestyle you go freestyle for us I'm like what the fuck is he what yes you've been doing this 20 years they're definitely gonna freestyle for you you weirdo yo we gonna put on a beat you think you could go yeah they come here to do that Tim that's what they're they're there to do that I don't know what, what if they say no no, Tim. <laughs> what if they say no? Uh, thank you, Jason. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 